So what do you think of when you hear the name Al Roker? Well, Al is my guest today. And most people think about the fact that he's been a co-anchor of NBC's Today, an Emmy award-winning journalist, a New York Times bestselling author. He's been at NBC for 40 years. He's a celebrated host of the annual Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. He's also a host on Sirius XM's Off the Rails. But that is part of what we see as sort of like the forward-facing Al Roker. What's also been going on for the last 26 years behind the scenes is Al is the CEO of Al Roker Entertainment, and they produce programs and digital content for network, cable, digital, streaming channels, everything from the Weather Channel, Nat Geo, and Food Network to TLC, NBC, CBS, and so many others. Recent productions also include Side by Side, uh, a celebration of frontline workers in New York City, and they have helped brands forge deeper connections by producing social good content through storytelling, docudramas, first-person narratives, and reality TV-inspired feel-good themes. And Al is also a writer. In fact, he's written a lot of books. His latest book, You Look So Much Better in Person, is this really fun and also valuable, part memoir, part advice guide for crafting a rewarding career. We dive into all of this in today's conversation. So excited to share it with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. 
it sounds like your jam when you're younger also was um, drawing was or, or being a cartoonist. That was the the thing that was calling you. Yeah, I I, uh, I loved animated cartoons. Uh, I love comics. My dream job was to be an animator for Walt Disney, and and I really wanted to go. A lot of the golden age comic book artists went to the New York School of Graphic Art and Design, public school. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to go there for high school. And my parents said, no, you're not, you're, you're not going to go to school to draw comics. Uh, you can do that at home. And I got a scholarship to Xavier High School, which was a, a Jesuit military school on 16th Street. And I thought my life was over. Because like, back then, you know, I was, eh, okay, whatever my parents said, I did. Yeah. So um, I thought that that would be it. But later on in life, I was able to work cart animation and stuff into com some computer work that I did, you know, for doing the weather. But, you know, everything happened for a reason because of that going to Xavier High School. We had a closed circuit, like television station where we did the news in the morning. And that got me interested in TV. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure what I would have done. Yeah, I mean, I, I know um, you and I share another parallel, which is both AV crew nerds. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yep. I mean, and that was the thing. I mean, it was it was sad, really, looking back at it. That, you know, we just thought we were cool. And we were the antithesis of cool. Here we are wheeling around projectors and, you know, slide units and, and, and tape recorders on a rolling cart, you know, and we, we just thought we were it. I mean, we had our own little gang sign, you know, AV. I mean, it was I was in perhaps every uncool activity in high school, again, because it was a military school, I was in the supply corps where we supplied the uniforms and, and uh, 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 rifles and things like that. I, I, I was on newspaper. I was in the yearbook. I mean, it just everything that said, yeah, I mean, thankfully it was an all boys school. Otherwise, I mean, because there was no way I was going to get dates anyway. So, you know, at least I had an excuse. Well, there are no, there are no girls here at school. So there you have it. Yeah, I mean, but that it, it does sound like there was foreshadowing there, right? Because then you end up at Oswego really focusing on, I guess I didn't call it communications when you were there. It was more radio and TV. Yeah, it was called radio and TV. There was The only communications was you'd call somebody and say, hey, you want to go out go out for a beer? But, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting in that, uh, you know, along the way, and I think for a lot of us, there's somebody who makes a decision that changes your life. It could be for good or for bad. Uh, for me, it was uh, uh, Lou, uh, Dr. Lou O'Donnell, uh, who was the department chairman at that time. But he was also Mr. Trolley on the Magic Toy Shop, which was a local kid show on the CBS station. And, and we always used to make fun of him because he had like a trolley head and cow catcher on his beard and we'd joke and he goes yeah you can go ahead and laugh but that freaking trolley put my kids through college and, but anyway i guess the news director there said hey I'm, we're, we're starting up a, a late a, a full complement of newscasts on the weekend and so we need to have a weather person because up and up until then they had one person do everything on on the weekends what the anchorman read the news read the sports so my, my department chairman put me up for the job i i did a tape at school uh, he took it down and I got the job. If he hadn't decided, oh, have Al, let's have Roker do the, the audition. I don't know what I'd be doing today. 
Yeah, I mean, when he first comes to you and says, hey, there's a spot on local TV, are you thinking, uh, oh, no, that's not for me? Or are you thinking, yeah, I'm in, I'm going to go for it? I, You know, I didn't think I couldn't not do it, but I didn't have it on my mind that I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a producer. I, I didn't think, look, I, I, I was uh, already at that point, I was already balding. I'm wearing glasses. I was chunky. I was black. I mean, this is 1974. I didn't think really that was I, that was my my career path being on camera. So when he came to me to do it, I thought, well, but you know, we so revered this guy that if he said, "Do it," why not? Doc, if Doc thinks I can do this, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. Do you ever wonder? I'm I'm fascinated by the concept of sliding doors. I've asked a bunch of people this. Do you ever reflect on? The, the 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 fortune or that moment and and what might have happened had you know you taken the class a different semester or had that one moment not have dropped into your life yeah i i think about it all the time i try to yeah i guess you can go back to almost just about the time you, you come out of the womb but i i really do think for me the, the thing that set everything in motion was really in elementary school when uh, there was a program, the Jesuits ran a program called the Higher Achievement Program. It was for what they considered really ex gifted students, who, but who came from disadvantaged backgrounds. Now, I didn't think I came from a disadvantaged background. But, you know, I mean, I thought we were middle class. We were probably you know, looking back at it, lower middle class. But if I hadn't gotten into that program and hadn't gone to Xavier High School, I don't think the path would have gone you know look my it could have been that my my parents hadn't put me in catholic school if i didn't if they didn't do that then i wouldn't have been up for the uh higher achievement program would have gotten a xavier bump 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 so i guess you can keep peeling the onion but uh, i really do think that that xavier high school was the the moment that kind of set me on this path yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting also because your mom's from Jamaica, dad's from Bahamas. Well, right? well my or, mom, or yeah, what, they, not first they, generation, they, or yeah, right, exactly. They're right. they're first generation. They were first generation, right? Which often, you know, the child of first generation immigrants here, you feel this pressure within the family, you know, yeah. to, to pursue a limited, you know, sort of like number of opportunities. But it sounds like you didn't really feel that. No, I didn't. I, um, no, it was. I mean, my parents were very much. They wanted their kids to do what they wanted to do. You know, again, they, they, my dad kind of fed into my predilections for AV. You know, he was a bus driver at the time. And at the depot, guys would show up selling stuff that fell off the back of a truck. And I remember one day he brought home a super, a super eight millimeter movie camera. And that kind of got, and, and I've, like I said, I was always interested in animation. And so now I could make my own stop action movies in the basement. Kind of, I had a Gumby and a Pokey and, you know, created claymation type figures. Then he brought home a, a Wallensack 3M reel to reel tape recorder. And I started splicing audio. And so all those things, they, they knew what I was interested in and they fed into that. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's also foreshadowing, and, and, and we'll get to that also for, you know, further down the road for you when you actually decide to roll out your own brand you, you, with Alrock Entertainment. Um, 
But when thinking about the, that first time, you know, when you're, you're in college, stepping in front of a screen, you know, sort of, I'm assuming you're 19, 20, 21 years old. Yeah. Do you have an, any recollection of that first moment? Oh, yeah. I, I remember having to fight the urge to look at the monitor to see what I looked like. Because, of course, then you do it and you're looking down, you're not looking up. And I remember being very nervous. And they made a tape for me to look at, which I do not have anymore. And my voice was kind of went up a register, and it it, it was it wasn't good, you know. But it was okay. And then I and and my school was about thirty five miles north of Syracuse. And I drive drove back after the eleven o'clock news. Got back up at school about you know back up to campus. You know, probably 45 minutes later, 50 minutes later, whatever. And I decided to stop at the Oswego sub shop, which was like the sub shop in town. And I'm waiting for my order, which at the time was, say, sorry to say, uh, two subs. But anyway, because you never know when you're going to get hungry in the middle of the night. Uh, and the young woman behind the counter goes, I just saw you on TV. You're that weather guy. And it was like, wow. I mean, my first broadcast wasn't more than an hour, hour and a half old, and I've already been recognized. Yikes, this is great. She gave me the sub for free. It was great. <laughs> That's amazing. So it's sort of like instant validation in the community, yeah. like not just in front of a screen. I can't remember whether it was in your recent book, You Look So Much Better in Person, or whether it was something you've written or shared before. But it seemed, I, I recall that there was, there was concern about, like you said, mid seventies, um, young black guy being on the station in kind of upstateish New York. Um, am I making that up, or was that a, no, a no, I, conversation? It, it, no, I, I, in, uh, in, you look so much better in person. I talked about, and and it was funny because I, I, I realized that, in a sense, the station was kind of that going out on a limb, but you know th there. I think our, our couple of each of the other two stations maybe had one black person on there, uh, but not sitting at the anchor desk. And I was going to be the first anchor, you know, on a regular basis to sit at the desk. And the station was, uh, they were a little concerned. So they, they hired a security guard and they put somebody on the switchboard. Nobody called in. There were no, you know, pitchforks and torches. Nothing happened. And and I always find that I think the people, the audience, constituents, whatever you want to call them, are usually ahead of the management or politicians. Uh, they don't give them enough credit. People are like, yeah, yeah, no big deal. And, you know, it, what a great thing in 1974 in upstate New York. It's funny because now here we are all these years later, and things to a certain extent haven't changed. And now, but all of a sudden there's this feeling of change and that, you know, I came of age in the 60s, late 60s. I was in eighth grade in 1968. And, um, you know, there were protests, there's all that, but this feels different. And, and I don't think it's because I'm just older now and more cognizant of it. Uh, I, yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to talk to uh, uh, the great Congressman John Lewis. And he said it feels different. He thinks it's different now. 
So, you know, uh, uh, I mean, talk about you know, somebody who should know, uh, it's him. So I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I mean, it is, um, it's such an interesting moment we're in um, right now in, on, on a number of levels, but yeah, especially in the context of race. And as me experiencing this as a middle-aged white guy, waking up to all sorts of interesting things. And, and um, you have the reference of you coming up in the 60s um, and seeing it from that perspective. Um, I have a weird flashback memory of my dad was doing his PhD on campus at Columbia in 68. Oh, wow. And I have a memory of being really little and being on campus when, you know, like NYPD comes and storms the campus and cops on Mounties and not until recently did I actually ask my mom, I was like, did I just make that up? And she's like, no, we were there when all this was happening. And, and I asked her, you know, like, she was kind of a hippie back then. I was like, you know, does this feel different to you from your perspective too? And it seems like the pervasive answer to that question from almost anyone that I ask is it does, but people can't necessarily point to why they think it feels different. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's funny. Um, when you watch television and you see these commercials and we're, it's almost like we're living in this post-racial world, you know, uh, which uh, look, I, I think it's great. You know, the interracial couples or folks who are kind of this amorphous race, you know, kind of things. And, and, you know, that's great. And, you know, uh, uh, gay couples and, and black and white. And, uh, it, it, you go to the, you look at the parties on these commercials and every, I mean, it, it's just this fantastic life. And then real world, it's not so much like that. But you look at these, uh, these protests and, you know, there are young white kids and Asian kids and Hispanic, Latinx kids and black kids. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a, it's an amazing mix. I mean, you look at some of these protests and and you see more far more white people than you do people of color. You know, so uh, in some in some cities. So, yeah, I I mean it, it, to me it's it's a fairly tangible change. I mean, even I I'm upstate New York ironically now. And even here I've been surprised at the number of Black Lives Matters posters and signs in towns and on, on front lawns. It's, it, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it is interesting when you sort of drop into areas where you wouldn't expect it right now. And, and you're seeing people really opening to not just having the conversation, but publicly representing a, a belief and, and, uh, you know, like the, this is what I believe and I want other people to know, and I'm willing to take action and express myself around it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. You, I mean, you also, you, you write about, I guess this was, you were in Cleveland. Um, oh, yeah. So you come out of school. You end up in D.C. for a couple of years and then Bob over to Cleveland where you're on air, I guess, doing daily weather at that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm the uh, weatherman on the, the five, six and eleven o'clock news. And, you know, again, when I Cleveland was a fairly racially polarized city. I mean, there were when I was there, there were areas you were told as a black person, do not go. Do not go into Little Italy. Do not go to parts of the west side of Cleveland. It's not safe for you. It's like, okay. And, and, you know, look, you you can, you sometimes bump up against, there's that that abject, ugly racism. And then there's the subtler racism. Uh, I mean, when I was looking for, for a house, you know, I was calling a couple of real estate agents and then would show up and, and you could tell people were kind of taken aback. And it's like, one guy actually said, you look, different than you sound. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, I just different. I said, meaning, he says, well, uh, well, you, you, you don't, you didn't sound black. I said, well, I was on a white phone. Yeah. You know, and then I had a, an anchor man who was, had been in, in the, the, the market for a long time and, and a lovely fella, but, uh, and was married to his co-anchor. And one night after the 11 o'clock news, 
a homeless guy who happened to be African-American, everybody knew the guy, older guy, came up for some reason behind Doug with a uh, rolled up newspaper and smacked him on the back of the head and took off. I mean, there's no harm, no foul. Doug, it was more of a, I'm sure it's the shock of it more than anything else. And by the way, it's kind of what everybody wanted to do at the station to him, but that's another story. You know, it, it, you got to remember this kind of still in the same period as Ron Burgundy, you know. Uh, well, next day, Doug's telling people all over what happened. He's like, okay, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Now we're on the show. We're on the air. It's the six o'clock news. We're live. And his wife, Mona, is about to introduce, start to, starting to introduce me. Oh, now here's how, and Doug interrupts and says, Mona, before you introduce Al, I just have to tell this. Al, I don't know if you know it, but last night, one of your people attacked me. Now, at, at that moment, you know, time stands still. What do you do? Is it outrage? Is it what? And I just look at him and I said, Doug, why would a weatherman attack you? And then just kept going and doing the weather. Well, the phones lit up. People were outraged. And so he was he was suspended and came back as a reporter and eventually, you know, left the station. Uh, went on to Columbus, Ohio, and he and his wife had a good run run there. But, you know, it's like, and but if you were to say to him, Doug, that was a really racist comment. I, I, I don't think he would have quite gotten it. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what must have been going through your mind in real time. You're on air. So this isn't the type of thing where, you know, you can, you can say what's probably really on your mind. And, and also, you're, you know, it, it's interesting because you're still a young guy at this point. Like yeah. you're, you're just out in the world. You're a couple of years into this career that you want to build. And here's a person who's been in it for a long time. And I would imagine that there's sort of like this spin cycle really rapidly cycling through your head, kind of wondering how do I, do I blow this off with humor? Because I know I'm, that's an easy go-to for me. Do I make a statement? Do I, and, and if I play this out nine chess pieces down and 15 years later, like what does this look like for me? And what are the stakes here? Yeah, I, I I didn't even take it that far out. I did, you know, think about, you know, how how do you react? What's the best way to react yet acknowledge it in, in a sense? And I chose to do that, uh, which I think made it a little stronger and I think made people more upset and outraged that what the heck, you know? So, yeah, but... A lot of people don't have that luxury, you know. I, I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate, but you know, the average person, sometimes average person of color, black, Hispanic, you know, has to almost suffer that indignity in silence. Uh, um, he was, as you described, uh, um, he was moved somewhere else. <laughs> you ended up still staying there for a number of years after that. But we kind of jumped over it. Like you, there, there was this short time in D.C., and I think that's the time where you first met Willard Scott. Yes, right? yes. Who becomes a real mentor to you over the years. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's funny. Back then, I'm sure, I mean, the word existed, but nobody used the term much. You know, like, oh, this is my mentor. You know, the guy who took me under his wing. And, and it was, I was at this, you know, at the time, uh, Channel Five was the uh, it was Metro Media, which later became Fox. But it was a station that really nobody was watching. Uh, I to be honest, when I I got the job two uh, you know like 
I'd been doing TV weather for two years at that point, and I really wasn't ready for a major market. But, you know, luckily, this was a station that a lot of people didn't watch. So I was able to kind of cut my eye teeth, you know, at that station, make my mistakes and grow. But Willard, I guess, saw me and call, literally called up. I was picking up the phone. Uh, oh, is this Al Roker? I said, hey, it's Willard. Let's go to dinner. I said, well, right now I'm outside your station. And he was the first guy I I knew that had, he had this like radio telephone in his car. He had a big red Cadillac. It was the greatest. Anyway, I came out of the back of the station. There he was at the curb, got in, makes a hard U-turn, parks literally across the street, and we go to this Italian restaurant. And that was the beginning of our friendship. And uh, I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He's 86, same age as my dad would have been. And uh, he's just, you know, he's one of these people that I, I wanted. I didn't want to be Willard. I want to be the next. I didn't want to be the next Willard. Because one of the things he told me was always be yourself. Be you. Uh, because that's all. He goes, if you're somebody else, then you're an imitation. But I wanted to pattern myself in a sense after who he was and is, because it's kind of like what you see is what you get. You know, he is, he's Willard. And whether you you think he's corny or whatever, I happen to think he's a genius, uh, but you know, that's who he is off screen, on screen. And that's, you know, I, I don't think I'm as good at it as he is, but uh, I, I, my, my daughter, my middle girl once about, uh, seven or eight years ago. Her room was a mess. And uh, I I just lit into her. And all of a sudden, I see these tears start falling. And she goes, this isn't fair. America always sees the happy Al Roker. They never see this Al Roker. Ah, kids will. <laughs> They'll always bring you back to that honest place. Yeah. Um, but, but how cool is it that, that you end up connecting with this guy really early in your career who models not just the career but also the way that that um is important to be as yeah. a human being as, as a work and also models this notion of don't conform you to what you think the market or the producer or the station wants yeah um, but rather like stand in who you are which is for any any person in their 20s, it's a hard thing to do. For somebody who's in the world of, quote, entertainment or on screen or broadcast, there's that much more pressure to sort of fit a certain mold. Um, yeah. and, and to see somebody who who has modeled not doing that and then telling you the same thing had to have been pretty powerful. It, it was. Uh, in, in fact, when I was at that station, the news director called me in and said, look, I, I think you're a terrific talent, but I, I don't think this is working. As far as you do in weather, I think I, I'd love you to be the theater critic or uh, do movie reviews and stuff like that. I think that's what you're suited for. But take the weekend, think about it, and then let me know what you want to do on Monday. And yeah, you know, I, I I just decided that uh, you know, listen, I I think I'm good at this, and I don't want to change horses when I haven't really gotten a chance to to take it out for a ride. So I was prepared to come in and tell him no. Uh, got into work. Again, this is kind of pre-cell phones. And it turns out he had been let go. 
you know, when he came, when he came in that Monday. So I was like, oh, I live to see another day. But I was prepared to say no. And I didn't know what he was. You going to fire me or what? But that was, you know, really because of Willard. Yeah. Sort of like gives you the fortitude to say, like, stick to what it is that you want to do. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you, so you land in Cleveland and then a couple years into that comes an opportunity in New York City. Was, you're New York born and bred and and, yes. and New Yorkers, we tend to have this pride slash arrogance about our city. And um, a lot of times, you know, when you head out early in life, a lot of times there's an aspiration to work your way back, but especially in, in the industry you're in. Sure. You know, when you think about media, what are the markets that everybody is trying to get back into? You know, fundamentally, New York or L.A. are the really big ones. But New York, I think, is really seen as the capital of the media world. Oh, sure. Was it an aspiration of yours from sort of like the early days to get back into the market? Yeah. I mean, it was one of those. It really was aspirational because, I, you know, look, 
because it, first of all, the Today Show never was even something I was thinking about. I mean, that's not possible. But if you look at it in New York City, there are six commercial television stations. And at the time, you know, I guess they were all doing newscasts. But so there's a limited number of jobs. And what are the odds that one of those are up when I'm ready? And so, you know, I've been in Cleveland for five years and I had just gone through a divorce and our station was doing well. We had moved from third to second and we're getting ready. We were knocking on the door for first place. And my news director, a woman named Chris Ostrowski, and, and I write about this in, in We Look So Much Better in Person, did one of the most extraordinarily generous things ever, uh, for a manager. There was a job opening for weekends at WNBC. She called me into her office and she said, you know, uh, this guy, Cliff Morrison, who had been the weekend weather guy, he's been gone now, you know, seven or eight months. They are desperate to find a weekend weather person. And at the time, the station was owned by NBC. And she said, you really ought to apply for that job in New York. I said, what? She said, you should, you, you need to go. You really do. You should have your agent call. Tell him to tell Bob Davis to call me, who was the news director in New York, that it's okay. You need to go. Wow. So my agent calls. I go down, meet some folks. Talk. They don't even have me do an audition. I finish up, and my agent calls and says, "Job's yours." You know, we just have to work out the details. And I get back to Cleveland, and I thank her. And and then I start feeling a little homesick. And the station in Cleveland, although the general manager didn't know that the news director told me to do this. And so he comes and, and calls my agent and says, look, we're ready to move in the first place. We can't break up the team. I tell you what we'll do. We're going to pay him what we're going to raise. He will be the second highest paid anchor in Cleveland. If he would stay for two more years, we guarantee he'll move. We'll move him back to New York at the salary he's making, which is more than he would have made in New York. And it, just if he just stays. And so my agent presents this and I think, wow. Uh, and so I decide, you know what? I'll stay in Cleveland. I, I love it in Cleveland. I had a wonderful time. And my news director hears this and calls me and says, are you out of your blanking mind? He says, now is the time to leave. As your news director, I want you to stay. As your friend, it's time for you to leave now. And I left. And, and the irony is, I got to New York. Six months later, the Monday through Friday weatherman, the legend, Frank Field, left to go to Channel 2. I worked for eight weeks in a row with two days off. And then I was given his job. And if I had stayed in Cleveland, so. Yeah, somebody else slides in there yeah. and probably keeps that job for years yeah. and years. Another and years. sliding door, as you mentioned. Yeah. And and also, I mean, then there was the evening news team in New York on NBC. Oh. Then also, that was like Sue Simmons. That was Sue Simmons, Jack Chuck, Cafferty, Chuck Scarborough, right. Pia Lindstrom, uh, Frank like This Field, legendary team. Uh, Chauncey Howell, Katie Kelly, Marv Albert, Len Berman, uh, Sal Marciano. Anna Bond, Carol Jenkins. I mean, it, it's a who's who. Gabe Pressman, uh, Ralph Penza. I mean, uh, these are all people I grew up watching. You know, I mean, not not Sue so much, but 
but and, you know, Sue and Chuck were legends. So, you know, it was one of those, and, and it, the irony is, or the, the interesting, but I subscribed to New York Magazine when I was living in Cleveland. And uh, I remember going out to my tree lawn and getting my mail. And there on the cover is a picture of the Live at Five team. And the headline says, the hottest show on TV. And I remember thinking, I will never be part of something that big. Yeah. And then a year later, I was. Yeah. That, um, you end up sliding in really fast. It's kind of trial by fire yeah. when you get there. And that also pretty pretty quickly leads to you kind of tagging in for the Today Show, right? On a, sort of like filling in here and there. Yeah, I'd been there a um, couple of years and then started right. filling in for Willard. And then, um, was it 95, 96, 97, when you're full-time on today? Yeah, it's, it's 95. In 87, I started doing the, the Sunday Today Show. And so I'm doing the 5, 6, and 11, Monday through Friday, and then the Sunday Today Show. And then I switched over to Saturdays. And then, but filling in for Willard more and more. And then in, in 95, you know, Willard, Again, the, the generosity and, and how he affected my life. He said, he came to me and he said, look, uh, I'm going to tell him it's time for me to, you know, skedaddle a little bit. I'm going to kind of semi-retire. Boy, I, I'm telling him you should get the job. He goes, I, I, I can see the writing on the wall, but I can make a, I think I can make a better deal if I, you know, voluntarily step away. And uh, he does. And I get the job. And that was one of those, I can't believe this. Uh, I, I just never thought anything like that would happen. Yeah. And that was, and you've been there ever since. Um, I mean, w w there's an interesting inflection also that I'm curious about, which is over time, you start to expand what you're doing, right? So you're doing more stories and you're doing interviews and there's more journalism that's coming into what you're doing. I'm curious was that an, an intentional thing from you? Was that just an organic process? And I'm curious about that. You know, it, it, it was not an organic process. I mean, it was an organic process. I'd like to say that it was me, but I'm not that good. But I've been very fortunate throughout my career that I've always done more than just the weather. I've had this hunger to do different things. And so when I worked in Syracuse, I did feature reporting. And when I was at, uh, in Cleveland, same thing in Cleveland and in Washington, I tried to do other things just because I like doing stuff. And, you know, my uh, respective stations were happy to have somebody raise their hand and do more stuff. So it just kind of happened. And I, I didn't really plan it. But as you mentioned earlier, I, you know, I, I, I'm from Caribbean roots. We all tend to have, like to have a side hustle or to do more than one thing. And my job was, I thought, to make myself as indispensable as possible, that I was a value added. And so I always like doing other things. Yeah, which also speaks to you starting your own company, right? So you end up starting Al Rooker Entertainment, which ends up becoming a, a full-fledged media company, production doing your own shows, producing branded entertainment for others, um, documentary style stuff. Did that start out as sort of like a smaller side hustle? Like, let me see what happens. Yeah. Was that intentional to, to start your own major thing? No, it wasn't. It was, uh, but I, as I said, 
I always wanted to be a producer. Uh, I didn't necessarily want to be on air. And uh, in like 94, a former station manager at WNBC was running the Food Network. And she tapped me and said, could I, you know, she knew how much I love food. And she said, would you like to do a couple of specials for it? Sure. Did a couple and they did well. Asked, could we do another couple? I said, okay. Then they said, we'd like you to do eight more. And in the process, I thought, I, I mean, I saw the what the process was. I said, well, heck, I could do this. Uh, and so I asked to produce them myself. And she said, yes. And after the first couple, I looked and I thought, well, you know, we're going outside to a production house to edit these things. I could buy an avid production you know, editing unit and by the end of the end of the series, I'd own my own unit. I mean, the, it would more than pay for itself. So that's how it kind of started. And we started, we did another series for them and, uh, and then started to doing other things. And, you know, all of a sudden, and what's interesting is how, you know, it, it's almost like the business has gone back to the future in that when I first started in television, it was, at least in Syracuse, it was a one, what they call a one man band. You, know, you would shoot, they shot and did the, did the audio and then would edit the film. I would edit film. Uh, and then you'd get, we got to, I got to Washington and they had three person crews and, you know, eventually that went down to two, like there was a lighting person. And then, and then I got to New York city, same thing, three person crew, then down to two. Well, now we're getting to the point where it's one person crews again, or, or you're doing it yourself. And in my, in my production life, you know, we started out in a one-room place, and then we kind of expanded. And then all of a sudden, with the gig economy and everything, all of a sudden we said, well, we, and being able to edit on laptops, and now we're in a WeWork, you know, in a smaller space. We don't need the big footprint. We don't need myriad numbers of edit rooms. So, you know, technology has a way, I mean, it advances you, but it kind of brings you back. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how that ties into what's happening over the last three, four months right now. It feels like because so many people were forced out of the studios and out of whatever offices they were in. And while there was this, you know, in on an individual level, we've all become you know, our own camera people on our own. Still, you know, when you think about broadcast media, it, it wasn't really going there. But now, you know, it feels like circumstance has forced an acceleration yeah. of every every conceivable element of broadcast level production it's sort of like you it, it, it's created a reimagining where you know like what can we do what are we actually capable of doing with a fully distributed oftentimes home-based or on location-based crew or person or setup and um i wonder if this will go back and and if so like what will it look like how will it be changed yeah i don't know we talk about that all the time I think people are accepting this now because they know intrinsically this is how it has to be. And But as we hopefully, in the not-so-distant future, come out of this, you know, I think if given a choice between a well-produced, well-shot story slash interview or a somewhat grainy, little jittery, Zoom-based story, I think people are going to want the nice, nice looking thing. I mean, this is fine because we know it. And this is what we, 
we know that this is kind of all there is, but I think people naturally or even subconsciously want it to look nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're, we're sort of like figuring this same thing out for, for six years, we only recorded in person in a studio. And so we've switched, you know, you and I are, you know, I'm in the city, you're upstate New York right now. So it's been a really interesting, almost creative constraint to try and figure out how close can we actually get? You know, the reason you and I are on a platform right now where we can see each other on video, even though we don't record and air the video is because it, you know, we're trying to get closer to the visual reference sure. that helps with the conversation. So it is, it, I think it's a really interesting experiment and I'm, I'm fascinated to see where people land. I mean, um, right now I'm doing my show from my garage. I've got a, an iPad that has this app on it called Live U. I've got a 50, a 60 inch touchscreen that I can do weather on. And, and thankfully we've now got a one, we've got fiber optic cable up here. Before I was on DSL. Uh, I mean, it was like one step up from dial up. So and it just got it about three, four, well, five months ago. Had this happened six months ago, I couldn't have done it. But, you know, it is an interesting, technology has taken us to a different place and it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. Yeah, absolutely. It occurs to me also that uh, the work that you've done with Al Rucker Entertainment is, it's almost the extension of, it's like the foreshadowing result of you being a little kid with the Super 8 and the claymation it's you stepping back into the role of the creator and the producer and the instead of in front of the camera saying okay so this was such a, an integral part of me now let me build something that allows me to play in that domain yeah more. yeah and you know we get to do I, I suppose the company could be bigger if we did certain kinds of programming i've chosen not to you know we just produced a special for uh wnbc called side by side nyc where we looked at the frontline workers uh, at some of the Northwell uh, health uh, hospitals. And it was a lot of it was shot by them uh, because, again, because of COVID. We did some interviews that were, you know, uh, safe, distant, socially distant. But it was very gratifying to be able to, in this kind of environment, produce something. I mean, doing something with a group called Life Aid, where that looks at vets who are suffering from PTSD and brain injuries because uh, there's not a lot of work being done. So it shines a light on something, and it's with the Cerner Group. But again, you know, even though these shows may be quote branded entertainment, you know they're they're doing good, and so uh, I'm happy to to do that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, how, I'm I'm curious actually how much how important is that to you? You know, to, to be a part of the creative process, I get is important to work with a crew of people who seems like you really enjoy being around and to enjoy the work that you do on a daily basis is important. The larger ethos of doing good, like creating work that does good, how driven are you by that? Yeah, I, I, um, I want to make sure that when people watch our shows, A, they don't feel like they've wasted their time, and B, they're thinking a little bit and that they've they feel like they come away a little bit better or feel a little bit better than when they started watching. They maybe feel a little bit better about the human condition or feel more hopeful. You know, we did a show a few years ago for the Weather Channel on, on the Coast Guard, which was, to me, one of the great unsung members of, I mean, they're not even considered a branch of the military in a sense, but do just incredible work. 
and, and fairly on a under the radar basis. And and you know to bring those stories out of heroism, kind of before it was fashionable, felt good. Yeah, I feel like it's um, it's an increasingly important part of uh, what when the world of media is so crowded right now across yeah. every channel that if you're going to put something out um, to try and make it more signal than noise. Yeah. And, and it's hard. It's really hard. And in, in some ways to get to break through, I mean, forget about all the cable channels. Now the streaming apps and all that, you know, um, uh, to break through, sometimes it helps to have a branded partner because they will do what it need. They will do what it takes to make sure their programming gets seen. Uh, so, you know, it's it, it's to their interest to do that. To whether it's buying commercials to promote the you know the, the program that's going to run, or or taking out digital ads, things like that. Every today to break through is is a is 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 almost as difficult as getting as producing the show itself yeah completely agree it is um an interesting world um one of the things that's dropped into your creative domain also over the years is is writing and you know you shared that in the very beginning that was part of what you wanted to do and you have over the years um co-written a series of murder mysteries um starting back i think it was around 2009 yeah. you co-wrote a book with um with your wife yes um and this latest book you look so much better in person which i loved and it shares it's it's very personal a lot of stories i'm wondering what itch the writing scratches that isn't because you have so many other things going on so many other ways to express yourself creatively what itch does the writing side scratch for you i love to read yeah i i've always loved to read my mother was an avid reader and I think in a way, a lot of times we do things to uh, impress our parents. And I always thought, you know, mom would be really impressed if I wrote a book. And so my first book was Don't Make Me Stop This Car, Adventures in Fatherhood. And uh, and she was, oh, look at you. You're a writer, you know. And now 13 books later, here I am. But, it, it, you know, everything, I think it, it kind of, my writing almost mirrors where I feel like I am in, in my life. You know, the fatherhood, a young father, not so young father. Uh, I was really getting into cooking, so I wrote a cookbook. You know, I've, I've always loved murder mysteries. And so I, you know, decided to write a murder mystery. I just, you know, you just go, and, and I, you know, I, and I just thought right now, you know, I think there's a lot of negativity out there. And I wanted to write something that, people could read, feel positive about, and maybe glean something out. And so that's why this came up. Uh, but, you know, I, I, um, I don't know that I was intentionally trying to scratch an itch, but I, I, I do enjoy it. I enjoy the process. I like words. And, and I like, uh, I worked with a woman named Paula Vitale, who helped me organize all these thoughts. And, and, I, and I like the collaborative process. I like, I, I like everything... You know, it's I I got a Kindle years ago, and um, I've stopped using it. I like the physicality of a book, and I love technology. Uh, don't 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 get me wrong, Jonathan. I love it, but I really have been moving more and more back into the analog. And this book kind of takes me from, again, you know, starting out and 
high school and college and, and taking me to now. And it goes from the analog to the digital, but I'm trying to get back. But the, the title, You Look So Much Better in Person, is, is, is one of those things that kind of came through organically. It's something that is said to me at least once a day when I go out to the plaza to shake hands. I mean, obviously, we're not doing it now. But somebody will say, oh, my gosh, you look so much better in person. And, and I want to say, you know, that's really not a compliment. When you break it down, I know they meant it as such, but given that I make my living on TV, you know, it it really looking better in person isn't really high praise indeed. It would be as if somebody said to you, "Oh my gosh, you sound so much better in person." Because when it's because the inference is on on these podcasts, it's like fingers on a chalkboard, but here not so bad. Yeah, I love it. Um... Feels like a good place for us to come full circle as well. So we're sitting in here in this remote container of Good Life Project. If I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? Uh, to have family and friends, specifically family, that when everything goes wrong, you still have those people. That your life and their lives have crossed together and you could still have a good life, but it wasn't, wouldn't be as good without them. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.